It is by word and spirit that Christ keeps that promise to hold us. Word and spirit. And so we turn to God's word now. We turn to 2 Samuel. Second Samuel chapter 22. We're making our way through this book these days. We're in the home stretch. Remember, as I said last time, it was several weeks ago now. I said last time that this last section of the book, these last four chapters, they've got their recurring themes. We get to know David better in these chapters. We get to know him better as a king whose reign was characterized by various kinds of calamity. We get to know him better as a leader who was served by valiant men. And we get to know him better as a poet who gave expression to his faith. Those are recurring themes that run through these last four chapters of the book. Last time we turned to this book, it was chapter 21. And you may remember that in some ways was a challenging chapter. There were some things in chapter 21 that we definitely had to stop and ponder in order to make sense of them, including justice for the Gibeonites. Maybe you remember that in chapter 21. This week we keep going. This week it's chapter 22. I think it's fair to say that when we start reading chapter 22, we feel like we're on more familiar terrain. And that's because when we turn to this chapter, we feel like we've turned to the book of Psalms. And in fact, if we didn't know better, we might start reading chapter 22 and think we'd opened up to the wrong book, that we'd opened up to Psalms instead of Samuel. And that's because this whole chapter in 2 Samuel that I'm about to read for us, chapter 22, is very, very similar to Psalm 18. Not absolutely identical to it, but almost There are whole sections of this chapter that are practically word-for-word identical to Psalm 18, and it follows the same pattern and structure. It's even introduced the same way. And that itself is worth reflecting upon, and in a few minutes we're going to. But first, let me read it for us. I almost said Psalm 18, not Psalm 18, 2 Samuel 22, beginning at verse 1. Hear now the word of God. And David spoke to the Lord the words of this song on the day when the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. He said, The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, My shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold and my refuge, my Savior, you save me from violence. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, and I am saved from my enemies. For the waves of death encompassed me, the torrents of destruction assailed me, the cords of Sheol entangled me, the snares of death confronted me. In my distress, I called upon the Lord. To my God, I called. From his temple, he heard my voice, and my cry came to his ears. 
Then the earth reeled and rocked. The foundations of the heavens trembled and quaked because he was angry. Smoke went up from his nostrils and devouring fire from his mouth. Glowing coals flamed forth from him. He bowed the heavens and came down. Thick darkness was under his feet. He rode on a cherub and flew. He was seen on the wings of the wind. He made darkness around him his canopy. Thick clouds, a gathering of water. Out of the brightness before him, coals of fire flamed forth. The Lord thundered from heaven, and the Most High uttered his voice. And he sent out arrows and scattered them, lightning and routed them. Then the channels of the sea were seen. The foundations of the world were laid bare at the rebuke of the Lord, at the blast of the breath of his nostrils. He sent from on high. He took me. He drew me out of many waters. He rescued me from my strong enemy, from those who hated me, for they were too mighty for me. They confronted me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my support. He brought me out into a broad place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. The Lord dealt with me according to my righteousness. According to the cleanness of my hands, he rewarded me. For I have kept the ways of the Lord and have not wickedly departed from my God. For all his rules were before me, and from his statutes I did not turn aside. I was blameless before him, and I kept myself from guilt. And the Lord has rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to my cleanness in his sight. With the merciful, you show yourself merciful. With the blameless man, you show yourself blameless. With the purified, you deal purely. And with the crooked, you make yourself seem tortuous. You save a humble people. But your eyes are on the haughty to bring them down. For you are my lamp, O Lord, and my God lightens my darkness. For by you I can run against a troop, and by my God I can leap over a wall. This God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. He is a shield for all those who take refuge in him. For who is God but the Lord? And who is a rock except our God? This God is my strong refuge and has made my way blameless. He made my feet like the feet of a deer and set me secure on the heights. He trains my hands for war so that my arms can bend a bow of bronze. You have given me the shield of your salvation and your gentleness made me great. You gave a wide place for my steps under me and my feet did not slip. I pursued my enemies and destroyed them and did not turn back until they were consumed. I consumed them. I thrust them through so that they did not rise. They fell under my feet. For you equipped me with strength for the battle. You made those who rise against me sink under me. You made my enemies turn their backs to me, those who hated me, and I destroyed them. They looked, but there was none to save. They cried to the Lord. But he did not answer them. I beat them fine as the dust of the earth. I crushed them and stamped them down like the mire of the streets. You delivered me from strife with my people. You kept me as the head of the nations. People whom I had not known served me. 
foreigners came cringing to me. As soon as they heard of me, they obeyed me. Foreigners lost heart and came trembling out of their fortresses. The Lord lives, and blessed be my rock, and exalted be my God, the rock of my salvation, the God who gave me vengeance and brought down peoples under me, who brought me out from my enemies. You exalted me above those who rose against me. You delivered me from men of violence. For this I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations, and sing praises to your name. Great salvation he brings to his king and shows steadfast love to his anointed, to David and his offspring forever. That is the word of God, the words of David, the word of God. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for these words, which are stirring and challenging. They drive us to our knees and lift our gaze to heaven at the same time. We pray that you bless us now as we reflect upon David's words, for we do believe this to be your word to us today. Speak, O Lord, for your servants are listening. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Whenever I read uh, a psalm like this, and we can call it a psalm, even though we find it here in Second Samuel, whenever I read a psalm like this, and it's relatively long, and I'm planning to preach on it, I find myself thinking, okay, let's outline this psalm. Let's break it up into distinct thematic sections, and then I start trying to do it. And it isn't long before I'm thinking, uh, maybe not. Bible passages don't always lend themselves to being outlined like that. It's not like David sat down to write this like a paper for school that was going to be graded for its clearly recognizable flow and distinct thematic sections. As soon as you think you know what one section about, that's exactly when David doubles back and starts saying again, things that sound like the section before it, and then you start to wonder, are there really sections here at all? It's often the case that themes are woven together and and repeated, and, and he circles back to them and brings them back in some new way. But still, I realize there's some value in, in noticing certain broad sections as you make your way. It's not entirely a hopeless task. If nothing else, it helps you to notice what some of the major themes are. Joyce Baldwin, in her commentary, breaks it up like this. Verses 2 through 4, she calls proclamation. Verses 2 through 4, proclamation. That is to say, a proclamation that God is David's God and deliverer. Proclamation. And then what comes next, verses 5 through 7, is summary. That is to say, a summary of the deliverance that David had known. Verses 5 through 7, summary. And then what comes next, a longer section, verses 8 through 31 is flashback, an extended retelling 
of the story of the deliverance that David had known. Verses 8 through 31, flashback. And then what comes next, verses 32 through 46, and don't worry, there's not going to be a quiz on this. Verses 32 through 46 is report. In some ways, more of the same, a report concerning the favor that David had known from God and what it meant for his enemies, report. And then what comes next, verses 47 through 50, a vow. A vow to give God the praise that he's due, verses 47 through 50. And then finally, the final verse, verse 51, praise. Following through on the vow and testifying one more time to God's glory. So proclamation, summary, an extended flashback, an extended report, a concluding vow, and a concluding word of praise to follow through on that vow. So thinking broadly in terms of sections as you make your way, that's what we've got here in 2 Samuel 22. That's the ground that David covers And it is glorious ground. It's so glorious and it's so rich that we're not going to try to cover it all in one week, in part because I think our hosts here at FKC would start wondering around noon why the service is lasting three hours and there's no end in sight. So we'll take our time. We'll break this up over several Sundays. This Sunday, I want us to notice some themes In these opening verses, especially verses 1 through 4, the heading that we have here and these introductory words of testimony and praise. So let's notice some themes that are before us here right out of the gate. I want us to notice three of them today. First of all, this, and I suppose we can head this one, gratitude. Gratitude. So let's start here. Let's start with this question. What do we make of the fact that it says that this is a song that David sang, verse 1, when the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul? Now, that's a whole lot of deliverances. One thing we've seen along the way in First and Second Samuel is that the Lord delivered David from quite a few enemies, including Saul, but not limited to Saul. It could be that Saul is singled out here because he was the first and most important of them, but he certainly wasn't the last of them. David was delivered from several folks who rose up in rebellion against him from within Israel. And we've seen that, like Ishbosheth, son of Saul thanks to Abner, and Absalom, son of David, and Sheba, the son of Bichri. So there were plenty of those. And remember, David was also delivered from enemy nations all around Israel. Lots of ites, Ammonites, Moabites, Edomites, Philistines, Syrians, and there were others. So there were plenty of those too. So what do we make of the fact that it says that this is a song that David sang when the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies? And from the hand of Saul. Are we supposed to believe that David sang this song, this whole long song in its entirety, every time? Not necessarily. It could simply be the case that David 
regularly gave thanks when the Lord rescued him and gave thanks like this. That could be all it means. It could also be that this started out as a relatively brief and simple song of praise and thanksgiving, and then it took shape and developed over time. That could be too. The very fact that the version of it here in 2 Samuel and the version of it that is Psalm 18, the fact that those versions are not identical, that could suggest that there might have been some development over time. That this was a song that took shape in slightly different forms over time with David's successive deliverances. And as the people of Israel throughout the land of Israel embraced the song, took it up, made it their own, sang it themselves. We don't know. This is another one of those classic instances where we might be curious about the backstory, but we don't have it. We don't know. It's okay that we don't know. We don't need to. It's enough to know that David was a man who regularly gave thanks to God in song when God delivered him, and he gave thanks like this. And I want us to pause there. I want us to feel the force of that. Brothers and sisters, I want us to be challenged by that. David was a man who regularly gave thanks to God when God delivered him. Are you that kind of man or woman? The point is not that you've got to break out in lengthy song or even brief song. Every time God blesses you, as much as I love singing, your family and friends and neighbors might find that wearisome after a while, and you might too. But the point is, is there a spirit of gratitude in your life for the blessings of God, especially when he rescues you in some way from something or someone that you were up against? Is there that kind of gratitude about your own heart, your own life? And then to keep going, notice that David gives thanks to God here in a way that reflected a rich body of truth. Truth about God and about himself and about what it all meant. There's so much testimony in here. Be challenged by that as well, Christian. Is your gratitude truth? Full. And by that I mean full of truth. Again, the point is not that you've got to go into great detail every time God blesses you, every time God rescues you. But at least now and then, when you give thanks to God, take your time and say back to God in prayer what's true. What's true about Him? What's true about the kindness, even the deliverance that you've known? Say back to God that he's the one who blessed you. And talk to God about how things didn't look good. And here's why. And say back to God that he he worked in this way or that way to set you free, and here's how it made you feel. So that's the challenge this morning. Is there a spirit of gratitude about your life? Is your gratitude truthful. We all know it's very easy to slip into getting from God and then forgetting to give thanks back to Him. It's a perennial temptation. 
Remember when Jesus healed those ten lepers and only one of them went back to give him thanks, Jesus says on that occasion, we're not ten cleansed, where are the nine? Luke 17. That, that is such a piercing moment. That is a haunting question. Where are the nine? I healed ten. One came back to give thanks. The math isn't hard. That leaves nine. Where are the nine? So just think about your own life lately. Have you been like one of those nine who lapsed into getting from God and then forgetting to give thanks back to him? And if you have, and for that matter, even if you haven't, let David's example stir you to grow in the very gratitude that God graciously has worked in you. So we can start with that one, a point about the gratitude of David that's on display here and the model that it is. So that's our first. Now here's a second theme and a second challenge for us today. This one will entitle Poetry. Poetry. What do we make of the fact that after nearly 40 chapters since we first met David, way back in 1 Samuel, 40 chapters that have been almost entirely history-telling, seemingly out of nowhere, we have this song of praise and thanksgiving. What's a nice poem like you doing in a book like this? But once we get over the, the shock of it, it reminds us of something that's very important about the Bible. We ought to love this book. One of the glories of the Bible is that it meets the wide variety of needs that we have as human beings. We are creatures who need both prose and poetry. Made in God's image, we can say. We are creatures who need both prose and poetry. In other words, we do need some material that's just the facts. And we also need some material that sings. Material that takes us on soaring flights of imagination. With fantastic images and vivid colors and exaggerated descriptions and arresting metaphors. We need it all. We are creatures made in God's image who need both prose and poetry, and the Bible's got it all. That's one of the things that makes it so great. You can open up this one book and find all of these different kinds of writing that satisfy our souls. We're wired that way, and the Bible fits. And the fact that we've got these poems here in 2 Samuel drives home the point that David was wired that way. Now, it's not that we weren't aware of that otherwise. The book of Psalms makes that perfectly clear. But to have these poems here in this book as well, in 2 Samuel, especially in this book where we might not expect them, it drives the, home, the point home even more powerfully. David was wired that way. David was a man of both prose and poetry, and we're wired that way too. And here as well, I want to challenge you. 
I want to challenge you when it comes to the way that you relate to the Bible, and especially to the the poetic and the dramatic material that God has included in it. And that's worth underlining. It's here because God has included it. Here's the poetry, or the, the challenge. Read the poetry of the Bible, including 2 Samuel 22, in a way that nurtures your own poetic side. Even you accountants and software engineers, you have a poetic side. Don't believe the stereotypes. Let a passage like this one take you on a soaring flight of imagination. Read it that way. Read it with a sense of drama. Now, even the prose of the Bible, even the material that's just the facts... Even that has its own drama and gravity, but the poetry especially, read it that way. One of the best things I did in preparing for this sermon was to read 2 Samuel 22 out loud at home in my study, slowly, almost singing. Think about how you would read this chapter out loud. Maybe even try it sometime. If it helps, read it like you're auditioning for a play. And you want to prove that you get it. Not over the top, but proving that you understand it. And that you feel it so that you can convey it. Or read it like you're sitting around a campfire. And the wide eyes of children are looking back at you with their s'more stained lips. Read it like you're on stage at the Kennedy Center and you've got a rapt audience that's hanging on every word. Or read it like it's your turn at the local poetry reading because we can't all make it to the Kennedy Center stage. Obviously, the point is not to treat the Bible like it's your dramatic play thing. I'm not saying be flippant with it. The point isn't to ham it up. But with all of the reverence that the Bible deserves, find a way, whatever it looks like for you, find a way to read this poetry like the poetry that it is, because God has put it there. And seek God's grace that as you read it rightly, you'll feel it deeply too. Because God has put it there for that reason. May it be so. So the first was a word about gratitude. The second, a word about poetry. Here's our third and last. An encouraging word about salvation. An encouraging word about salvation, because that is the theme that David certainly introduces right out of the gate in verses 1 down through 4. Salvation, brothers and sisters, salvation is of the Lord. Salvation belongs to the Lord. It's God who saved David on the fields of battle, and it's God who saves us. From sin and Satan and hell itself. Salvation is of the Lord. It says so right there 
in the preface to this passage. Verse 1, David spoke to the Lord the words of the song on the day when the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. And then it says so right after that in the opening strains of this passage. David said, the Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. And he goes on from there to pile up all of these different terms, all of these different ways of saying, God is my Savior. David knew that God's the one who'd saved him. So that he could look to God to save him again and again. And so this becomes an opportunity to say the same thing about ourselves. Our salvation is of the Lord. It's God who saves us from sin and Satan and hell itself. And Christian, let your mind roam over that. Let that sink in. So, for example, Christian, your heart has been turned back to God. That's salvation. Because your heart was turned away from him. Christian, your sins have been forgiven. And you've been pronounced righteous in God's sight. That's salvation. Because left to yourself, you were a child of wrath. We can keep going. Christian, God forgives you time and time again, day after day. And God guides your steps by the light of his word day after day so that you're kept from stumbling. And God protects you from the evil one day after day in ways you can't even see. Christian, yours is now the hope of heaven, and that's salvation. Because apart from Christ, you are without hope and without God in the world. Christian, you have been saved, and you are being saved. And in the end, you shall be saved, and God is the one who does it. These things don't just happen, and you certainly didn't rescue yourself. No, God's the one who saves you from start to finish. So here at the outset of this psalm in 2 Samuel, when David says, the Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, Christian, let your soul leap. When David looks up like that and testifies, you follow his gaze and look up with him and join him in his testimony. Have you ever noticed that whenever you're in the company of somebody who looks up, What do you instantly do? You look up too. There's this irrepressible instinct whenever somebody next to us does it first. Because you want to know, what's he looking at? What's up there? Well, Christian, when David looks up like that and says, God is my Savior, imagine you're in his company because in a sense you are. Look up with him and see the same God that he sees, and to add your amen and say, God is my Savior too. Salvation is of the Lord. And notice this too. We can keep going with this third and final theme. Salvation is of the Lord. Notice how the Lord saved David. It's not just that God saved him, but we can reflect upon how he did that. How God delivered David from the hand of all his enemies. For me, this is one of the best things about this song, the tail end of 2 Samuel. It's where it's located in the book. Remember, it's located right after that little hall of fame at the end of chapter 21. Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, were touring the hall of fame. 
Sibekai the Hushathite, Elhanan the son of Jaari Oregon, Jonathan the son of Shimeon. The end of chapter 21. Each and every one of those men struck down fearsome Philistines. And it's right after that that David says, God, I thank you that you've delivered me from the hand of my enemies. If you didn't know any better at this point, you might object and say, David, you can't say that. You can't say, God, I thank you that you delivered me from my enemies because we all know that it wasn't God. We just read, we all know, that it was Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, and Sibekai the Hushathite, and the rest of those guys. So David, so goes the objection, leave God out of it. It wasn't God who saved you, it was those guys. It was their strength and their courage and their swords. So goes the objection. And New Hope Presbyterian Church, I know very well that you know the answer to that objection because you heard last Sunday's sermon. And I did too from the COVID-cautious confines of my home office. I heard it too. What did we learn last Sunday? What we learned is that God doesn't just appoint outcomes. God doesn't just have end results in mind. God ordains the means of bringing those results to pass. God appoints the pathway that leads to those outcomes. So last Sunday, remember, it was Paul getting to Rome. This Sunday, it's saving David from the Philistines and others. God didn't just appoint that outcome. He also made Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, strong and courageous and well-armed. And those others as well. God saved David, yes, and on those occasions... That's exactly how he did it. And as you flip back through First and Second Samuel, well, we've seen it. God had a variety of means, a number of different ways of delivering David. Here it's a courageous servant like Zeruiah. There it's a crafty counselor like Hushai the Archite. Remember him. In one place it's a stone that David casts at a Philistine giant. In another place... It's the Philistines themselves who give David a place safe to, a safe place to hide. Well, it was God every time. It was God who saved David by all of those different means, those different times. God has his ways. Here's another Bible illustration to drive this point home. Here I've been Invoking that phrase, salvation is of the Lord, right? Salvation belongs to the Lord. Do you know who said that? you know where that comes from in the Bible? Salvation belongs to the Lord. It was Jonah who said that. And do you remember where Jonah was when he said that? I'll give you a hint. He wasn't in the temple. Jonah said salvation belongs to the Lord when he was in the belly of a fish who swallowed him whole. Think about that next time you're looking for a private place in your home to pray. The point is Jonah knew that it was God who saved him by means of sending the fish who spared him from drowning. Jonah did not say, well, thanks for nothing, God. It's a good thing the fish came along because I didn't get anything from you. Oh, great fish, you are my rock 
and my fortress and my deliverer. Now Jonah knew that it was God who saved him, and he saved him by means of sending the fish. And Jonah said so while he was in the fish. Talk about means. Talk about instrumentality. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord has his ways, sometimes his mysterious ways of saving us. So, Christian, what does that mean for you? Well, God has saved you. And he is saving you. And he shall save you. And think about how. Don't just affirm that bare truth, but stop and think about everything that's gone into your salvation. Think about God's means, his ways. Above all, look all the way back to Jesus. That's always a safe first place to go. Think about Christ, his life and his death and resurrection. That's how God didn't just snap his divine fingers and say, well, okay, you're saved now. It would have been positively unjust for God to do that. No, there had to be a savior. And there was and there is. Jesus, his life and death and resurrection. That's how God saves. And then closer to home, closer to the present day, look back on your own life. Look back on what God has done in your own life in order to save you. The people that God brought into your life, who brought God's word into your life in some way or another. A book that you read, a church that you visited, a faithful grandma who talked to you and prayed for you. And then the work of God's grace by the power of his spirit so that it all paid off. And you came to believe. The very faith that now resides in your soul that unites you eternally with Christ who lived and died and lives again. Christian, God is your savior. And has he not been brilliant and kind in the way that he has done it? God has his means, his ways. Salvation is of the Lord, and he knows what he's doing. So let us praise him today and give him thanks today, and then let us press on in this beautiful, challenging, humbling Christian life, this life of word and prayer and obedience, because God is our Savior. And as he brings us along in that life, that's how he is saving us even now until the end. Let's pray together. Our great God in heaven, we call you Savior. And we bless you, not only for the grace that we've known, but for how we have known it. For how wisely and wonderfully you've worked in history and in our own personal stories that it might be so. So may we be a people of gratitude. We would follow David's lead. We would be a people of truthful gratitude. And we thank you that you've given us your word, including this poem and the other poems in it, that our souls might be stirred in such a unique way. So make us to be lovers of the Bible and all that we find in it, all that you have said to us in it. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.